Well, you certainly know how to compliment a woman. Well, if you'll excuse me. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Well, I'm very happy for you. is Friday Game Changers, taking your business to the next level. Coming up on Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. Focus obviously is crucial, mental strength is crucial, um, and obviously the experience that you can gain and the more often that you do it, the better you'll be at, at making sure those mistakes don't arise. And also, how satisfied you are with the results is only really down to the work and effort that you put in in preparation for that result. Hi, this is Ray Zen. Hi, I'm Jamie Martin from Ideal Shopping Direct. I'm Kate Bell, founder of Zip Us In. Hi, my name is Eirik Aide Patterson. I'm a co-founder of Seaborg Technologies. Hi, I'm Katie Farrell, transformation coach, founder of The Catalyst for Life. Hey everybody, I'm David Frangioni, CEO and co-founder of All Access IDA, Inspire and Develop Artists, and you're listening to Kizzy's Friday Game Changer. Check it out. Welcome to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers with your host, Kizzy Nkwacha. The show for innovators and motivators, people just like you. Kizzy is the publisher of Business Game Changer magazine and the property investor, editor of the successful Women in Business book series and the best-selling Every Entrepreneur's Guide series. Every week, Kizzy and his guests provide you with the tools you need to take your game-changing business to the next level. Listen, learn, and innovate. Now meet your host, your mentor, and your fellow game changer, Kizzy Nkwacha. Hello and welcome to Kids' Friday Game Changers. Philip Hansen started racing competitively at the age of 14. And in 2020, just last year, Phil was crowned World Endurance Champion, the youngest driver to achieve this. And he was the youngest ever Brit to win the famed 24 Hours of Le Mans. Now, Philip is the first driver to ever win Le Mans and hold both the World Endurance Champion and the European Le Mans Series titles in the same year. I know, amazing, huh? In just a few minutes, I'll be talking to game changer Philip Hansen to uncover his secrets of success. Don't go away. I'm Brian Stolley, founding partner of Wildcat Venture Partners. Hey, Tanja Lee here, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. I'm a leadership and mindset specialist for real estate and property professionals. Hi, I'm Jonathan from Amplify. Hi, I'm Johnny Cohn, CEO of Pay by Phone UK. I'm Kenneth Hafiano, the founder of Jobwefa, an ethical fashion brand based in Ho, Volta Region, Ghana. My Friday is never the same without Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. 
Welcome to the show. This week I have the honour and privilege of breaking bread with racing driver Philip Hansen. Now, Philip is described by many as the driver to watch in the field of endurance sports car racing. In 2020, last year, Phil was crowned world endurance champion, the youngest ever driver to achieve this. He's also won the European Le Mans series and was the youngest ever Brit to win the famed 24 Hours of Le Mans. Now, before jumping into today's conversation, I've been asked to remind you that Business Game Changer magazine has just published its book of the month, a business Bible by the, the title, Life Stories of Successful Business Leaders, How They Succeeded by Orison Sweat Marden. Now, if you want insight and advice on how to get ahead in business, then get it straight from the horse's mouth. This book is guaranteed to change your life and give you the tools you need to take your business to the next level. And that book one more time is Life Stories of Successful Business Leaders Told by Themselves by Orison Sweat Marden. Okay, that's it. Jobs done, bills have been paid. Phil, it's amazing to have you join me. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Let, let's start at the very beginning, Phil. Um, your racing career really shifted gears after you won the uh, Wilton Mill Kart Club Championship in 2014, I believe. Now, and then you went on to claim the Super One British X30 Junior Karting Championship and the Dunlop Endurance Championship. Phil, how old were you when you first realised you had this incredible passion for racing? Um, I think I must have been sort of around 13, 14. Um, it's sort of at that age when you start karting at a more professional level um, that you, you get really engulfed by the sport in general. Um, I think it's a, it's a really strange sport because we find everyone in the paddock and all the people that you meet through the industry are all completely obsessed with it. Um, and it's difficult to really explain where this obsession comes from. Um, and yeah, that's basically how it all started for me. It was, it was a hobby at the beginning. Um, and then it just it progressed into a, what is now a career for me. And what were your parents' attitudes when, you, when they realized that this is the, a path that you wanted to pursue? Were they supportive? I mean, everyone knows that you know, racing is can be dangerous if you don't do it properly. Did they try to talk you out of it? Um, I think my dad tried to talk me out of it so he could get some of his weekends back, to be honest, because the the racing world and the way in which the racing season structured, especially in karting, is the fact that you have to give up Friday, Saturday, Sunday every weekend pretty much for most of the year. So, um, yeah, that, that did commit him into many weekends of going to not the most pretty places among, around the UK um, and definitely not in the best temperatures just to sit around and, and watch me drive around the track, obviously competing against other people my age. Um, and we were with a, a little family-run team at that time. Um, but yeah, the, the poor guy had to schlep around the whole of the UK and um, take me to all these tracks. But little did he know that that sacrifice he was making then was going to lead to him having uh, I don't know, a mansion somewhere, maybe a jet somewhere, you know, hint, hint, right? Who knows? It could do. I mean, every, everything's possible, to be honest, these days. Um, like any sport, if you're the best at it, you're going to reap the rewards. Um, and I'm not here just to take part. I'm here to be the best. So like most people in sports, you're typically very competitive. Um, so yeah, hopefully there's rewards that come along with it. But right now I'm just in it for the 
for the ride. And I suppose the wind of opportunity, as you've mentioned before in our conversation, is getting narrower and narrower because people are entering the field at much younger, uh, much younger ages. How long does a professional racing driver have before they're considered to be heading towards being slightly over the hill what what's the what's the lifespan of a professional racing driver yeah i mean normally it's up to around the 40 year old mark um like i said in previous discussions it's been um the age has been coming down every year in formula one now which is the pinnacle of, of our sport um drivers are you know 20 years of age some of them coming in before they're even 20 um 19 even so yeah it's getting younger the world's also getting older so at the same time it's um it's a strange time to really be pursuing a sport because you can quite easily be outdated by the next generation coming through um but that's just you know typical sports you have to kind of engage that and and understand that you know you're only as good as your last race how has technology changed since uh, you started your career because i can imagine that um technological advancement in racing must be pretty fast just to keep up with the sport itself yeah it does um and it has changed significantly since i started racing um both in terms of safety and in terms of technological um advances that the manufacturers and series have made with regulations and in terms of actually the cars that we drive um, when I started racing cars, the LMP2 class, which I now race in, which I wasn't obviously when I started racing cars, um, has gone through a different generation and now is a, a much faster car. And I think the pace of that car that I now drive was probably the pace of the LMP1 cars um, five or six years ago. So that shows you that they're constantly pushing the benchmark further and further away. Um, and the cars are getting faster and faster and faster. But at the same time, the organizers are doing a fantastic job of making the sport a safer environment. You know, there's obviously these risks associated with racing. Um, some risks you, you know, you probably can never remove, but you can definitely make the whole sport safer. Well, talking about the risks associated with racing, I know that a great deal of hard work has to go into making a, a professional racing career. Just out of curiosity, how often do you train and what sort of training do you do? I mean, Again, the training aspect of motorsport is sometimes overlooked. Um, when I used to go to school and start racing cars, I remember, you know, sitting down in my advisory period and saying to a friend of mine, you know, like uh, about the gym work that I was doing. And I remember her going, well, aren't you just sat down the whole time? Hmm. I'm like, yeah, well, it's not really that easy to, un- uh, to understand because we have, you know, G-forces, which are this lateral force or even longitudinal force that we, we go through in the race car. Um, and what that does is it keeps our heart rate up because we're constantly fighting against um, resistance. Not only that, you have your sort of fight or flight natural auto—I don't know the term—but the um, the system in your body that keeps your heart rate up because you're is worried that you're going to you know crash and die. Um, so you can't fully relax. So you're basically doing a gentle jog in terms of your heart rate for hours at a time. Um, and endurance racing, especially, is ob- obviously can go up to twenty-four hours long obviously it was shared between three drivers so it's an eight hour each average uh, across the entire race um but even still that's a, a long time to be jogging if you look at it like that um but yeah for me particularly i do a lot of work in the gym um in terms of like strength and conditioning and uh, a lot of cardio through movements and, and weight training as well um and i find it really useful for me to be able to to get into these sort of mental fatigue areas where i can my mental strength prevails rather than my physical. 
Um, I think mental strength is something that can be very overlooked um, in sports. Uh, and I think a lot of people just assume they have it because they're performing at a, a top level. But I think if, unless you continue to push your mental strength, you're not going to get any better. Um, and for me personally, I find the best way to sort of get into that zone is to be in like a pretty awful state in the gym and know that you're only halfway there and you still have to do twice the amount, um, which isn't maybe the best for everyone, but it works for me. Um, and so far, it's been so good. It's interesting you're talking about mental strength because uh, I know that this, um, this 24-hour Le Mans, for example, 24 hours driving constantly, um, what, three, 355 laps? How do you stay focused? I mean, how do you stop your mind from what? I mean, you know, five minutes and my mind is wandering. How do you stay focused, Phil? I mean, there's obviously a lot of adrenaline associated with the sport. So it's not like we're driving around um, listening to some music. We're, we're pretty flat out. Um, and the other thing about endurance racing, which is unique to endurance racing, is the fact that we're on track with multi different classes. So what we have is at Le Mans, we, I race LMP2. There's an LMP1 class, which is the, the top class. Um, LMP2 is considered probably the most competitive at the moment. Um, and we also have GT cars, so your Ferraris, your Aston Martins, your Porsches. Um, and they're significantly slower. And you have two classes in GT, GT Pro, which is a manufacturer-based program, and GTM, which is a Pro-Am lineup. Um, so you have different level of drivers in GT Pro-Am, and you have GT Pro, obviously, which is manufactured and fully professional um and different speed of cars which means that at le mans there's not going to be a lap where you're not overtaking a single car so you have these closing speeds you have a lot of you know forward thinking that has to be done to make sure that you're not making mistakes um as well as the adrenaline that keeps you up and keeps you you focused and also the longer you've been around the more experience that you have you understand that the moment your mind does drift away is when the mistakes settle in um and it can be anything from a from missing an apex to flat spotting a tire or crashing you know so um the more experience i have in the sport the better because it means that i'm able to to stay focused not i'm not saying that when i started the sport i was you know my mind was drifting every race but um but it does happen and mistakes do happen that's how we learn um but yeah endurance racing although you have such length of periods of time you have to be in the car um at le mans especially we're in the car for up to three hours at a time um maybe even up to four I think four hours in any six hour period is the maximum that you can do. Um, but yeah, focus obviously is crucial. Mental strength is crucial. Um, and obviously the experience that you can gain and the more often that you do it, the better you'll be at, at making sure those mistakes don't arise. Okay. That's interesting. So during the Le Mans, you, you, you're in the car for what? Four hours at a time. The maximum you can be in the car is for four hours in a six hour period. We typically do our longest stints. The stint is what we call it. Basically the time of your pit, window so you're from one full tank to to low fuel um and at le mans because we're most of the track is is a lot of traditional straights where they used to have you know part of the track is actually on the road which is being closed off and, and the, his, the history behind le mans is pretty amazing um where we're flat out for for a lot of the laps so our 75 liter fuel tank lasts only 39 40 minutes um, and we typically do a triple stint at least normally quadruple stints and maybe even five stints in a row in the night um and we always do our longer stints at night because when the temperatures are slightly cooler everything just works easier the tire management's easier the driver just feels more comfortable there's a bit more downforce because the air is cooler engines run sweeter 
Um, and for some reason, that's when we do our longer stints, also to allow our teammates to, to get a little bit of rest whilst we're driving. You sound almost as though you prefer nighttime driving to daytime driving. I mean, you have to, because um, the race can sometimes be won or lost at night. Um, last year, when we won Le Mans, was really unique because of COVID delayed the whole schedule. Le Mans is normally held in June. Last year, it was held in September. So the, the hours of you know, nighttime was increased by nearly two hours. Or maybe it was two hours. Um, need to go back and have a look. But yeah, it was significantly longer driving at night. And it's more difficult because it's not like a, a racetrack that's fully lit and there's all these infrastructure to light up the whole track. Like I said, most of it's, you know, the street. Um, so it's really dark. Um, so the focus is doubled. Mistakes can happen a lot easier. But at the same time, if you're comfortable in those conditions, you're, you're going to excel. <laughs> Uh, right. Okay. If you say so, uh, Phil, you, you just listening to you talk, it terrifies the thought. I, I mean, my, my hair is standing on end and I'm bored. I mean, F Phil, a couple of years ago, I went to the Sepang, is it the Sepang racing yeah. circuit in Malaysia? Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I see. That's what we have in common because I was there too, but I was there on a press trip where they allowed us to take the cars around the circuit a few times just to see what it felt like. I, I think I was going so slow that my car didn't have a speedometer. It had a calendar in it. All right. <laughs> you know, when you yeah. get to those corners and you have to sort of work out, you know, how exactly to take those corners. Yeah. Yeah. Phil, I got, I stopped the car and I got out and I, I walked around the corner first. Just to make sure it was safe. Exactly. Exactly. I thought safety first, right? Yeah, Exactly. Oh well, there goes my racing career. Um, but I, I, I guess for me, I was I was drawn to this incredibly glamorous image that you guys have and your fast lane lifestyle. But I, I'd imagine that the amount of work that goes into it kind of makes it that. That's really why you do it. It must be the work. It can't be the rewards, can it? Well, um, I'm I'm quite into my my CrossFit in terms of training, and I quite like. Um, now retired CrossFit five-time champion um, Matt Fraser and a lot of the things he says resonates a lot with me and he talks about in his first two years of competition how he finished second twice he says in his first year he felt like he won second and the second year he felt like he lost and, and got second he says the only difference between those two years is the work that went in to preparing for those two years and he says you know in the second year he did all the things he didn't do in his first year he worked and did all the things that were grueling and he didn't want to do in the first year. And he still finished second. And he, and he says quite often, you know, how satisfied you are with the results is only really down to the work and effort that you put in in preparation for that result. Um, and I think that's really true, especially in, in our sport where a lot of the work that goes in, it is very much a team sport happen back at the workshop, which my team that I race for, United Autosports, they're based in Yorkshire. Um, and these guys, they work incredibly long hours um, preparing the cars and going through data and trying to find all these marginal gains so we can be faster on track and hopefully win races. But if we did no preparation on one Le Mans, it wouldn't be nearly as satisfying as it being my fourth Le Mans. We've had a DNF one time when we were going to be on a podium. Um, and, you know, it's a year of work and, and pretty much no rest and a lot of fitness that goes into it, a lot of concern and worry about all the possible things that could go wrong in that 24-hour period a tiny thing could break and it's all over one driver can make a silly mistake with another car in traffic and it's all over um so all that goes into it and then the reward afterwards is fantastic 
but then a week later after Le Mans it restarts because you've got another race and then you're preparing again because if that preparation doesn't go in you're not going to get the result and if you do get the result from whatever reason it's not going to be as rewarding so sometimes it's the journey that makes the destination worthwhile and you've mentioned the fact that you're now racing with united autosports which is of course one of the largest motorsport companies in the uk and united if anybody doesn't know united auto autosports is run by uh, zach brown who's a, an entrepreneur and of course former british racing driver richard dean um, phil you joined United in 2017. How much of a change was that for you? Because I think before you were with um, uh, Tocquif Motorsport? Yeah, exactly. I was with a very small family-run team, again, like my karting career. Um, and when I moved to United, I mean, the difference was huge. United uh, got this massive structure, huge organization. Um, they're pretty much the most professional team in the UK. Um, they're, you know, they're working to an F1 level. Um, a lot of their engineers have come from Formula One and um, have done their time and across the different categories and sports cars and across everything. Um, and it's funny because it's based in Yorkshire, so you've got all your Yorkshire tea bags flying around the race the racetrack when you've uh, when you finished uh, the race because um, yeah, they're very much down to earth group who have a fantastic balance of, of work and and play, and um, they understand that everyone has to enjoy it. Otherwise, what's what's the point? But at the same time, yeah, I, I can't articulate really how much work goes in behind the scenes because it's, it's mind-blowing when you really realise how small of a part I probably play in the grand scheme of things. I understand. It's, it really is a team effort and most people don't appreciate that. But once you get to see what goes on behind the scenes, that's when you realise how many people are actually involved. And, and I know when I was um, getting ready for our chat today, I was looking up the qualities of a successful racing driver. And two that caught my eye were you have to be highly observant and equally highly reactive and You've got to have a burning desire to take risks. Phil, you, you sound so relaxed. Are, are you a risk taker? <laughs> yeah, I am, definitely. Um, I think if you weren't a risk taker, you wouldn't be very fast. Um, you know, you're constantly treading water and trying to figure out what's going to work and what isn't. Um, and when you, you, know, you get your new tyre run, it's, it's a massive delta in grip. Um, and it's basically a feeling that you have of where you think the grip will be. So you're entering a corner uh, with an estimation of from, you know, your base, your previous experience, you know, the laps that you've done of where the grip is. And and then you have split second decisions, you know, on that grip, how much you can load the tire and, and make the corner. And it's, it's this constant risk reward. I mean, even in life, pretty much that um, that gives you the result. Um, so I think, yeah, if you weren't a risk taker, you wouldn't be very good. Wow. I know that um, the idea of taking risks is something that um, a lot of our business listeners have in common, but you're taking risks of a totally different type. But I guess it all comes down to mindset. Um, sometimes you've just got to hope for the best and, and trust in yourself, really, haven't you? And, and the people around you. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of that, definitely. Um, if, I mean, if you didn't trust in the people around you, I wouldn't feel that comfortable getting in a car at Le Mans, to be honest. Neither would I, uh, just for the record. But I think we can all relate to that, Phil. Uh, let's hold that thought. We're going to take a quick music break and come back to our conversation in a few minutes. This week's boss star is Annie Kiko. Hope I've said that right. Annie Kiko, the creator of True Voice Global. Now, Annie Kiko is described as a mind-body alignment mentor who works with business owners and entrepreneurs to accelerate their next level or stabilise 
in their current growth. But when Annie Kiko isn't helping businesses reduce stress and increase transformation, she's in the studio producing some amazing music. Here she is singing Livewire. Have a listen. Australia. I'm a leadership and mindset specialist for real estate and property professionals. Hi, I'm Jonathan from Amplify. Hi, I'm Johnny Combe, CEO of Pay by Phone UK. I'm Kenneth Afiano, the founder of Jobwefa, an ethical fashion brand based in Ho, Volta Region, Ghana. My Friday is never the same without Kizzy's Friday Game Changes. Ever since the day you lit the fuse, I can't quench this desire. Like a fire running through my veins, electrified. touch with Kizzy's Friday Game Changers by emailing FridayGameChangers at email.com and follow us on Twitter by searching for Kizzy's Friday Game Changers. founder of Perspective Pictures and I've been trying to change the game for 8,760 days. That's why I listened to Kizzy's Friday Game Changer. Kizzy's Friday Game Changer's elevator pitch of the week. Please stand back from the closing doors. Please select a level. Going up. Hi there, I'm Elise Collette, the co-founder and CEO of FRDM, a sustainable online fashion startup based out of Melbourne, Australia. At Freedom, we are on a mission to make fast fashion sustainable. We are a subscription-based online store that allows members to borrow a selection of clothing from our online shop for a simple monthly fee. Our unique point of difference is that we aim to be fully circular, so all of our collections are broken down and made into new seasonal pieces. Top floor, good luck. 
Here's his Friday Game Changer Book of the Week. Hi there, my name is Sam Perry and I work for a business called Refined Search. I recruit finance and shared service professionals across the whole of the UK. I've known Cheryl for a few years now through a work capacity and I've recently learned that she was releasing a book, Smashing Stereotypes. I've just completed the book and I had to leave a review because I absolutely loved it. Now, as a recruiter, this is an area that I'd say I typically specialise in and that I should know everything about. But one thing I will say is that I've learned so much from this book. I think the book provides a real insight about how to change your mindset in the workplace. It talks around the growth mindset, how to become more positive and overcome some of the challenges that you may face when trying to climb that corporate ladder. The thing I love about the book so much is that Cheval actually gives real-life examples about how she's achieved certain things in a career despite so many stereotype knockbacks. I think the book gives you the tools, but it also helps you utilise the existing tools that you've got to reach your highest potential without burning out. I think that this book would suit anybody who's looking to better themselves or to climb that corporate ladder. One thing that I will take away from the book that I've never heard before is that people say that life is too short. However, when your working career can span over a 50-year period, life's too long to work a job that you don't love or something like that, but you get my drift. Cheryl, I can't thank you enough for the book and I'm really looking forward to your next one. Thank you. Welcome back. Before the break, you're listening to Annie Kiko, the creator of True Voice Global, singing Livewire. I'm in the studio talking to racing driver Philip Hansen. Now, Philip, we're at the past, present and future part of the show. Now, I can see you looking a bit panicked. Don't, don't, don't re- no, this is easy. Relax. What it means is that I'm going to ask you three questions about your business past, your present and your future. And if we get this right, the answers will give us a unique insight into the mind of game changer, Philip Hansen. Are you game? Yeah, definitely. Okay. You now sound terrified. <laughs> <laughs> you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do, do you want a massage or do you want a sandwich or something? A cup of, I don't know, tea or something just to, you know, chill out and relax for a while? I thought I sounded really relaxed at the start. Now I'm panicked. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, you you do. You sound really laid back. And this is going to be the best part of the show. Um, Best part is called the past, present and future. Um, Let's see now. You've got to imagine you can hear a clock ticking in the background. That's the sound of time passing by second after second. Imagine yourself traveling back in time to meet the young Philip Hansen just starting out on his game-changing sports journey. Now, Philip asks you, for one quality, one quality that's helped you in your racing career, what would you tell him? I love these sort of questions, to be honest. Um, you know, it's not easy. There's so many qualities that you, you really want. Um, I'd probably go with something along the lines of determination. Um, you know, that the work that you put in will pay off. Um, yeah, something along those lines. I would say, yeah, definitely if you if you're willing enough to sacrifice to you know reach a certain goal and win Le Mans eventually and win a few world championships along the way, then um, then you're going to get a reward in the end. Hmm, I like that. That's really good. So so really, it's not it's not just about having skill or a bit natural ability. From what you're saying, it sounds like hard work is the is the big deciding factor. Yeah, but that was on the assumption that I had some sort of skill at the start as well. Um, I wasn't just talking to some sort of Phil Hansen that had lost all of his ability to drive a, a go-kart fast. Um, no, but a Phil Hansen that maybe thought it was a lot easier at the time. Not that I did, but as a kid, you just assume that, you know, if I win loads of races, I'm just going to make my way to Formula One. 
but um, quite often it's it's a lot more political and unseen that you, you don't really understand at a young age. Um, but if you want to put the work in, then anything's possible. I think the truth is, for many of us, if we knew, really, really knew how difficult something was going to be before we before we started it, we probably wouldn't start. So sometimes it's best exactly. not to know, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Okay, very wise. Okay, um, that's the past. Um, in the present, who inspires you when you think of role models and someone you'd like to be like in the future? Who would that be? Um, for me, it's always kind of been my dad, to be honest. Um, I've seen, I've heard very few stories about how he's, you know, gained his success in life. And um, when I really think about all the work that he's put in, again, that rings true that had he have known how hard it would have been, he probably would have never started. Um, but yeah, it's a really good role model to have in my life because I can sort of embody that idea that if you really commit yourself to something, you, anything can happen. Um, but it just does, it's not a fun process for a lot of it, to be honest. But um, yeah, I think that he embodies that quite well. Wow. I, you know what? I think that's got to be the best answer this year. We've, somebody asked me this question and I said Batman. But you, Batman. you know, you. <laughs> Batman's up there too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Well, you know, I think you've outshone me, outshone me completely. Um, okay, your dad, just, I like that. That's a, that's a really, really good answer. I'm, I'm wondering then, if you could have one ability, one superpower, what would you have, Phil? I know the answer to this one. And it's not going to be like flying, although I wanted to fly when I was really young. Um, it would be to control time. I feel like, you know, time is the most valuable thing in the world. Um I would have loved to have like 10 lives and do 10 different things with my life. Um, I feel like I'm doing what is the most important to me at, at this time in my life, um, racing and trying to make a long lasting career in motorsport because it's, it's what brings me the most joy at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, if I had more time or can, could control time, that would be fantastic. Not only for the racing, obviously, being able to just get out of my car and push it a bit 10 meters down the road and suddenly I'm a lot faster. But in the sense that I could, um, you know, do more with my life that I might not be able to have the opportunity to when pursuing such a strenuous career. There's a lot of things that I see, you know, obviously you're very influenced these days with social media and having all this access to all the all the information. Um, and there's a lot of things that I, I look back and think, um, you know. I'd love to have done that as well. Isn't it weird? When we, when we were kids, we thought that wealth was all about having a nice car, um, a, a PlayStation, a nice house. But the older we get, the more we realize that the true wealth, the one, the most valuable thing we have is time because that's the one thing you can't get any more of. And if you waste it, it's gone forever, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. All right, that's good. So, yeah, time, having more time, being able to make better use of time. Um, let's move into the future. If we're traveling 100 years into the future, now, I don't think I'm going to be around, but with the amount of energy you've got and mental determination, you probably will be. Um, but just in case you're not around in 100 years, what would you, I know this is a bit of a weird question, but what would you like your legacy to be? What would you like to be remembered for? Um, I'm not really sure. I'm not, I never really thought that my life would have a legacy behind it. Um, maybe just to be a real positive influence on the people around me. 
Um, I've had their value friendship quite high um, and I've, I'm lucky to have some really close friends near me um, and just to hope that, you know, across the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, however long I live, um, that I've also shared a po- positive influence on them and impacted their lives as much as they've, they've helped mine. Do you think that your story will inspire other people who come from relatively normal backgrounds, you know, they, they weren't born into royalty, but they think, well, maybe if Phil was able to achieve such a level of success, perhaps I could have a go at doing it as well. Yeah, I think anything's possible, to be honest. I think if you're talented enough and want to commit yourself, then, you know, you can do it. Um, I think motorsport, there's a lot of barriers to entering motorsport financially and the fact that there is a lot of commitment that needs to be done um and the fact that the sport is changing year on year and um yeah for the better or for the worse i'm not sure um but yeah i think you if you if you're talented enough and committed enough then yeah 100 percent you can you can do anything it's interesting you say you, you make a point of noting how much racing has changed in the time that you've been involved in it um and i'm wondering to myself now if you don't want to answer this you don't have to, but it'd be interesting to know what you think. Women professional racing drivers, um, good or good idea, bad idea? What, what are your thoughts? Um, I have a very unpopular opinion, and it's, it's in reality, it's what, what the opinion that everyone should have. In my, you know, I, I, I truly believe everyone should have this opinion, but it's unpopular. Um, I think sports, the world, just should completely operate on merit. I think that, you know, factors like sex, gender, um, whatever, um, ethnic backgrounds should never be considered. I think everything should just be based on merit. I think if we lived that way, you know, 90% of the social issues would be resolved. Um, so I'm I'm actually not in favour of it unless, you know, they're, they're the strongest. I think obviously there's an argument to be heard about barriers to entering it but unfortunately the the reality of it in our sport is that they're actually um sort of helped more and given more opportunities than a lot of the talented young guys out there um and even with those advantages they haven't seemed yet to really reach the pinnacle of motorsport competitively um and maybe that's a really harsh view to have but i just believe if you if you put them all in the same car and you know i race against a few women in in my sport um and it's a very unpopular opinion to really come out and say that I, I don't fully believe that they're on merit. Um, I think it's topical nowadays to, to show the, the diversity of things. But I, I just I wish everything was done on merit, that the, that the best driver was the best driver. You know, the most well, I don't know, educated person was the most smartest person. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever you want yeah. to look at, I, I think merit should be the number one factor. Do you know what? Once I'm Prime Minister, I'm going to appoint you our Minister of Sport. Unfortunately, it's an honorary position, so you won't get any money, but you, <laughs> but you will have the reward of doing a good job because I agree with you completely. I, I think that anything that divides us, whether it's on race, religion, uh, gender, anything that divides us should be avoided, and we should just try and focus on things that bring us together and, and everything should be an equal playing field for anybody, irrespective of who you are, where you are, what your background is, or your gender or your sex. Yep, exactly. I think it's that simple. I still can't believe people are still struggling to come to a conclusion about the whole issues. Well, we'll we'll form our cabinet and together we probably won't just um, change the world. We may well save it. Are you in? Yeah, I'm in. 
Excellent. That's it. One down, um, just seven billion others to change, but we'll, we'll make a start. Um, I've got, my, my, my state manager's uh, given me a note saying you've run over. What's it say? Oh, I thought it said, uh, it looks like over lime, over time. You've run over, run over lime, I thought it said. Um, I'm sorry. I think we've run over our allotted time. So, um, we're going to wrap up our conversation. Um, but I do have time to ask you, is there anybody out there who may be listening to this conversation that you'd like to say hello to, Phil? Yeah, I just want to say hi to some of the fans that I probably haven't been able to see across the last year. Um, there's been restrictions for them to come to the races and they haven't been able to be there. Um, yeah, and I just hope everyone's well and anyone that's following me is, is still following me after this, this interview. Um, and yeah, hopefully I can see them soon when things open up again. Fantastic. And I think you have an army of fans out there, Phil, who send you all of their love. It's been an amazing experience getting to spend time with you on Kids Friday Game Changers. Thank you so much for sharing your insight and your wisdom, Phil. Thanks a lot, Kizzy. Thank you. Well, the time I've spent with Phil has made me realise that if you're working on something, if you're involved in some activity, a sport, a business, something that you really, really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you forward. And game changers like Philip Hansen are reminding us that Henry Ford was right all those years ago when he said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Listen, learn, and innovate. Playing us out is Annie Kiko, the creator of True Voice Global, and this incredible track's called Light Years. See you next week. Stapleton. I'm the co-founder of Hugh Coven Garden Soup Company and laterally then Little Dish. Uh, my Friday wouldn't be complete without Kizzy's Friday Game Changer. It took us This is Tanner Chister, CEO of Elite CEOs, and today you're listening to Kizzy's Friday Game Changers, the world's number one podcast experience.
Game changer show. 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 Game changer show.